Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 2 in our teaching series, a study of the Book of Acts with Paul's writings, titled Introduction to the Book of Acts, Part 2. Our teacher is Alan Smith. We do welcome everyone here this morning and those that are watching online. We're so thankful that you're here this cold and brisk winter morning. As we get into the book of Acts, you can turn there if you'd like in the book of Acts. This will be our second teaching, our second lesson. This will be, well, it's actually lesson one, part two of the introduction. I should have put lesson two, introduction part two, typo. And you might actually, let me go ahead and make a confession up front. I created some charts and all late last night and early this morning, and they're subject to some typos. I'm just going to have to beg off is all I know, because I wrote it, and I bet I had to rewrite the one chart 20 times. But that's the way the book of Acts is. You're, as it goes along, you have to insert this stuff in there. So if where I'm lesson two introduction, this will be part two of the introduction as we begin this book of Acts. I like to start us off with a little thought-provoking idea sometimes, just to get us, it's kind of like calisthenics before a basketball game, get ourselves, get our minds kind of engaged in thought processes beyond our work week last week. Oh, this is my disclaimer. I had it last week. I'll be using King James Version of the Bible, using many notes from various scholars down through the ages of the church, including the Ryrie Study Bible, Thompson's Chain, Schofield, and many others, such as Chuck Misler and all other kinds of teachers that have impacted me down through my life. I make no claim to anything original on my part. I like to get that out of the way. I consider myself an elementary student to seeking truth and guidance from God. So I got my disclaimer there. The thought-provoking thing that I want us to look at this morning as we go into the book of Acts, and this is just your calisthenics, okay? As this has not a lot to do with Acts. Calisthenics. What is death? There are certain things about death. It is inevitable. It is unavoidable. It is inescapable. Need I say more? But this is what I like. But Snoopy had a great word of wisdom for Charlie Brown about this topic. Now, this is mainly for Ed, and the rest of you can watch. He loves Snoopy. He has sweatshirts with Snoopy. But uh, Snoopy had a great word of wisdom for Charlie Brown about this topic of death. He said, someday we will all die, Snoopy. True, but on the other days we will not. I kind of like that. You know, if we're not careful, we get so focused on this, what's inevitable, of course, there's going to be a day. But perhaps the scriptures teach us and show us about all of these days that we're not and what we're going to do. What's our mindset? It just so happens there's more of the not days than there is the day. You know, I like the way Jesus, he kind of summed it all up. Jesus came along and said, and then Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keeps my saying, he shall never see death. I mean, leave it to Jesus to top Snoopy, right? And, uh, but he said, so that's an important concept. Yes, we will die, but every day we live, we're not dying. And Jesus said, if you'll keep my sayings, you'll never see it. Now, to me, that's something to get excited about. If your brains are ready to rock and roll, we'll proceed with the book of Acts. Of course, the writer is the apostle Luke, which was chosen by the Holy Spirit. Luke was considered a scholar of the Greek language and regarded as one of the best when writing historical literature. It is the continuation of the book of Luke. That's one thing you want to remember in looking at the book of Acts, that it is actually, you can read the book of Luke and then go into the book of Acts, and it's like a continuation of the same book. Acts 1.1, 1, 1, it says, The former Atreides have I made, O Theopolis, of that all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now he's speaking about in the book of Luke. So he writes the book of Luke and tells about Jesus' earthly ministry. 
And then he gets into the book of Acts, and he has the privilege, and it's probably because of his great writing skills and his incredible use of the language that made him, the Holy Spirit picked him to do this, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. So that's how we start this book in Acts 1.1. It shows here that he speaks about his former writing which is the book of Luke. We go right into the book of Acts, which is, talks about the Acts of the Apostles, two major figures, which is Peter and Paul, but we call it the Acts of the Apostle. So we, there we, sit, we see that he talks about Jesus. So therefore, Luke wrote down what Jesus had done and was doing through the Holy Spirit. Luke, what Jesus' life was, what he had done. Then he gets into the book of Acts, the day that the Holy Spirit is among us. Now, the date written, Acts concludes uh, with the account of Paul's earliest ministry in Rome, A.D. 65. That's around the closing of the book of Acts, Acts probably A.D. 63 to 65. Now, in a lot of these Acts dates that I'll use today, they can all get, shake or give or back and forth probably two to three years. Different. Some people think it's a little earlier. Some think it's a little later. Just get the general idea, and you'll, you'll be able to fit them pretty good. Now, the purpose of the book records the ascension, the promised return of the Lord Jesus, and the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Peter's use of the keys of the kingdom. Now, that's an important phrase that we'll be getting into. Opening the kingdom of the Jews at Pentecost and to do the Gentiles in the house of Cornelius, the beginning of the church and the conversion of the ministry of Paul. So the book of Acts is what we call, remember this, it's what we call a transitional book. In a transitional book, God is dispensing a lot of information. For the most part, a lot of it is new information. The book of Acts is the example, if you want one, of in Matthew 13, when in the parables, Jesus speaks about a scribe. It says the kingdom of God is like a scribe. Well, we see here that Luke is a true sense of this parable of the scribe. It says that he, he puts his hand in his satchel, he pulls out things that are old, and he pulls out things that are new. So when you get to the book of Acts, it is a total prototype of what's happening in that last parable of Matthew 13 called the scribe. And he's speaking about the things of the kingdom. So when we get to Acts, you're going to see things that are old, which is basically built around Jewish heritage, Jewish traditions. Then you're going to see things that are new because the Holy Spirit is now among us. And the Holy Spirit's bringing revelations to individuals. And then the Apostle Paul, I mean, he just blows the top off of it. He gets called up to the third heaven. Now, how are you going to beat that one? I remember Bob Jones asked me one time, he said, Alan, you want to go up? I said, Bob, I think I'll stay down today. I don't know that I, I watched him take people up. And some people said, well, that was new age and that was this. And I, I don't know. I, the only thing I know is I, I trust Bob. But I wasn't in the mood to go up that day as the Apostle Paul was. So Luke was to show how God had a secret to tell the world that included both Jew and Gentile on an equal basis. Now, that's part of this reaching into the satchel, bringing out something new. Now, it's, it's an old information in that you got Jew and Gentile, but it's old information because you had Jew and Gentile on an equal basis. That was different. Now, in the book of Acts, to handle it correctly... You've got to understand this terminology. It's called progressive revelation. Progressive revelation is what happens a lot in a transitional book. Transitional book means you're going from point A to point B to point C. You're moving. 
So anyway, I think we got a little bit of a ring, a little bit of a feedback. So we got to understand that in a transitional book, you're progressing. Now what happens with us is we're always, did you know change is not what comes as a normal reaction to most humans? So when it comes to Bible study, we can retain and we don't have as much problem with historical studies as we do mixing new with old. So therefore, the church finds itself at an impasse almost, because we have a lot of denominations today that are great about historical studies and traditions. And I'm not against the churches that are keeping traditions. I'm sure God's got, for some reason, He wants a group that does that. It just so happens I'm in the group that appreciates that, but I'm in to mixing the new with the old. I wanted to see what God's wanting to do new. Okay, that's what was going on in the book of Acts. And then the Apostle Paul said, he was called up in the third heaven. He comes back and he says, hey guys, I've I got something to tell you. The traditional Jews weren't as excited about it as Paul. But you got to understand, Paul said, but listen, I'm a Jew. And I tell people all the time, the day that the Apostle Paul got saved on the road to Damascus, he didn't leave that salvation experience non-Jew. He didn't leave being a Christian. He left from there being a Jew that was converted that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Now, in progressive revelation, it's important that we understand when revelation is given and then it progressively builds. What we're guilty of is inserting latter revelations at an earlier date. Just understand it. This is the way God did it. And the reason he did it this way, what if you were Peter and your instruction at Acts 2 was to preach a murder indictment against the nation Israel? Repent, you killed the king. If you'll repent, he's going to send him back. Sounds like a great message to me. But that was his message. Paul didn't start writing anything for about 20 years. I thought Paul shows up at Acts 9. He does. But you got to give Paul time to get his revelations and put them out and talk about it. So you've got Peter and these guys running around 15, 20 years saying, listen, if you just repent, Jesus is coming by. So you start understanding why all of these writings are about the second coming of Christ. They're talking about the return of Christ. Now, in replacement theology, pray tell, how in the world you do away with all this stuff? I don't know. Well, I do know. They say the second coming of Christ is when it comes in your heart. Jesus does come into your heart, but that's the salvation experience. That's not the second coming of Christ literally to this earth. We have to make a distinction. So let's move on. Peter was the minister to the circumcised, it said, and then Paul was to the uncircumcised. And we're going to see we're through a vision that Peter gets an inkling that God's going to include Gentiles in on this message. Peter running around speaking to the Jews, if you'll repent, he's going to send Jesus back. Then Peter has this vision that you're going to see. God progressively reveals something to Peter. It didn't change Peter's message. He added something to Peter's message. Now, this is where people get in trouble. They think because God dispensed some new, something new that it did away with the previous. This is a hermeneutical, you can't break this law. When God says something, he builds on that truth. And that's where I disagree with dispensational teaching teachers. Some teachers say, well, God stopped doing this here. Well, it breaks the law. Now, just think about it for a minute. Is God, is he so absent-minded that he has to say, well, I changed my mind, so we're going to stop this and we're going to start this? Well, one of the easy things to use in the scriptures is when God says it, our problem is it turns into a law. 
And, and you've seen it in, in history where a king would have to follow through with something like in uh, the book of Ruth. A king has to follow through with something because he made it law. Well, God follows through with what he says. So you got to understand, you don't have to think, okay, well, this is changed. No, God's adding to his truth. Now, your theology might not work out with that, but it's easier to change your theology than it is what God's saying. Consequences are better too. So move on. Now, the book of Acts is in two basic parts. The first section is we're going to call Acts 1 through 9, verse 43. Peter's the main character here. Jerusalem is the center, and the ministry is to the Jews. Here we got the beginning of Acts. Main message is Jews. You killed the king. If you'll repent, God's going to send him back. It's called the times of refreshing, Acts 3. The last of two or three, somewhere right in there. The Jews were in sin by rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. That was their sin base. They rejected Jesus as the Messiah, which we all know. Therefore, the preaching was directed to them to have a changed mind and repent. So the Jews were to repent that they killed the king. If they'll repent that they did that and receive him as the Messiah, God will send him back. It's called the second coming of Christ. Just so happens, I believe the same thing. Plus, the blood atonement of Christ is the forgiveness of all sins, right? Does it change the previous? It's added too. Now, the blood atonement was still what, you see, what you're going to see scripture in this first part of Peter, if you got a King James Bible and other translations, it doesn't do it. But if it was staying true to the text, it would say that you're to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins not the forgiveness of sin. There's two different words. The remission is the correct translation. And the reason is, if you go back to Acts, it says repent because you killed a king. If you repent, receive him as Messiah, God will send him back again. So the Jews' sins, right, they're being remitted until Christ returns. There they'll see it and they'll fully believe him. That's when they fully receive him uh, as Messiah and uh, the Savior of the world. Now, the remission of sins is done by God, not by us. He just shows us in his word that their sins have been... If you have cancer and it's in remission, do you still have cancer? Yes, but it's in remission. It's not hurting you. So we see the nation Israel today. They've rejected their Messiah. Don't you remember something? Their sins have been remitted until a day. You say, well, Alan, that's not the way I'm saved. Of course, it's not the way you're saved. That's the reason you're saved with that plus more. There's more required of those that's more been given. We have been given the grace of God to understand these things. Is that not good? Your sins are not just remitted. They're forgiven. God says, I don't even remember them no more. Okay, you missed a wonderful place to jump up, grab the chandeliers, and swing. But these distinctions need to be made so that you realize what you have today. Part of our problem today is we've tagged, we're putting ourselves in the wrong place in the scripture and we're weighted down. People's not quite sure if they're in good with God or if they're not, or is God doing this or is God doing that? Listen, why? I don't know. But you're living in the grace of God today. Your sins have been forgiven. Now, I hope you really grab that as we go through this book of Acts. And I want you to see, there again, some translations, it doesn't say remission. Most translations, it will. King James, it will every time. That's the reason people call me a King James carrier. I am. I'm one of those. I like other translations, but when it comes down to some of these words, 
That's the reason I use it. The Old Testament promises of the Davidic covenant were explained by the promise that the kingdom would be set up and, and the return of Christ. That's the Old Testament promise. Okay, let's move on here, Alan. The second division is in Acts 10, 1 through 28, 31. Paul is the main character. A new center is established at Antioch. Now, we all know that happened. And the ministry is chiefly to the Gentiles who were strangers from the covenants of promise in Ephesians 2, 12. They had to be but to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. So we see something shifting here. Peter's introduced to the idea of these Gentiles. The Jews come in and start making a ruckus. Well, we think they need to be circumcised. He says, no. You see, you got these Jewish believers that have received Jesus as the Messiah. Now, the Gentile crowd's coming in here. Paul's saying, no, they don't need, that's not what's happening. Why the difference? Because revelation is progressively being revealed. The secret that God had in mind is being revealed. And that secret is you don't have to do any works. You don't have to do anything. God's saying on your best day, you couldn't do it anyhow. So he's saying, my secret is I've made the provision for you. Now, even though the Jews were to receive Jesus as their Messiah, the grace of God was still what was covering them too. They just didn't have the revelation of it yet. On chapters 11, 12, 15, 28 are transitional, establishing the distinction between doctrine and between law and grace. Now, I put that in there. The whole book is transitional, but these chapters are really transitional. That's when a lot of the impartation of this revelation happens. Galatians should be read here to have this understanding. So if you want to have the understanding of 11, 12, 15, and 28, if you read the book of Galatians at that interval, it'll give you understanding of what's happening. The events recorded in the Acts cover a period of around 32 years. Now, we're going to have, they had seven, what I call seven progress reports. This is a little overview here. A well introduction, if you will. In Acts 2, 47, it says, They were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. There's a key revelation there. Somebody added to the church. Who was it? It was God. The Lord added. So what that means is if we have an atmosphere, if Jesus Christ is in the room, it will draw people to the room. That's the way it works. You can offer hot dogs, hamburgers, and give $100 a seat. It doesn't work that way. You can have the best show on earth, which many try. Many fill it up, but it doesn't work. Acts 6 and 7, and the Word of God increased. Oh, what increased? The Word of God increased. It didn't say a better show on earth increased. It says the Word of God. Now, these are little things that show us how this works. The Word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Acts 9. Then had the churches rest throughout all of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and the comfort of the Holy Ghost, they were multiplied. So there's a key word there. Can somebody tell me what it is? Fear of the Lord. There's a fear of the Lord that we maintain for the multiplication factor. Acts 12, but the word of God grew and did what? Now, what does it say? Grew and multiplied the word of God. So you start seeing all this increases in the book of Acts was built around the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. The Holy Spirit didn't come to show off and show out. A lot of times we want to display, all right, let's display the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit didn't come for that. The word of God's want to come to show in and show out. Can you hear me? The Holy Spirit comes when the Word of God is preached. 
So we start seeing these progress reports and we start catching the hint of what causes their success in Acts 16. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Right? Something had to take place for their numbers to increase daily. They had to be what? Established in the faith. If you're in here today and you can say, oh, well, my faith's where it was 10 years ago. Well, your faith is not going. It's not being established. Our job and our goal here is each other and loving each other. Listen, your life is like water running downhill. If you're not a constantly established in the faith, you can't climb the mountain. You will run downhill. Can somebody hear me? You've got to constantly be fed the Word of God, worship God, daily Bible reading. You have to constantly maintain yourself to have this increase. Because if you do not do that, if you just stop everything, you're going to start going down. Water goes to the place of the least resistance, and so do humans. It's the Word of God that sustains us and that builds us up and causes us to be encouraged. It's hard work, somebody. You have to invest yourself. You have to do it on purpose. When you just say, well, I'm tired. I'm going to take a vacation from God. Well, God forbid. You're going to go down. That's the beginning of backsliding. That's what it means. You're going to give yourself over to the path of least resistance. It's too hard to study to get up in the morning an hour early and read and pray. That's too much work to come on Sundays. Too much work. I'm just telling you, that's climbing the mountain. The higher up the mountain you get, the better the view you have. Can somebody hear me? The higher up the mountain you get, which is hard work, perseverance, the better view of what's going on you have. And Acts 19 says, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. There again, what is growing? It's the word of God. Acts 28, 30. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Now at this point in Acts, Paul had written somewhere around 10 of his epistles. Time he gets to this point. He still had four to go, but he had around 10 already written. Now, to me, that's interesting. So when he's preaching and teaching about the kinghood of God in Acts 28, 30, he's got more to say than he did in Acts 12. Now, I'm not saying what he wrote earlier, the first, second Thessalonians, that'd be Acts 13, I guess, 14. He had a lot to say then. But when he gets here, he's written around 10 books, 10 letters, if you will. These things we want to keep in mind as we progressively go through the book of Acts. Here, the apostle Paul in Rome, in prison, he's writing his la four of his books, I think he wrote at this time. Some think he wrote it in Acts 23, 24, somewhere when he was with Felix. Some believe he wrote four of the books there and that imprisonment. And some think he, he wrote it in this Rome and this imprisonment. I mean, it doesn't make much difference because between 23 and 20, it's just about a year, even though the whole book last 32 years. But you can see in those imprisonments, and we'll get into them, it's, it's not about a year, so it's not quite as big a deal there. Now, let's look at it here at the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I put up there the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. This is what we see start happening. And John 16, 13 says this, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, keynote, but whosoever he shall hear, whatsoever he shall hear, shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So we see John talking about this Holy Spirit. It says he'll not speak of himself. We are not to overemphasize the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not coming to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And we got to understand, Jesus walked with them. 
when His Spirit came, guess what? Jesus walked with them. So today, Jesus walks with us. The Holy Spirit is not set apart from Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. So He left in His body, but He said, I've, I've, I've got to go away, but I'm going to send my Spirit or my presence. So why, as a church, are we so hung up on the presence of Christ? Why do we worship? Why do we look at each other and say, did you feel that? Have you ever sat in church, somebody worshiping God, they're just having a time, and they're just irritating the loving life out of you? Come on, be honest. You know what I'm talking about. They're usually a little loud, and they're jumping, and their hands are up. You're like, I wish they'd settle down and be reverent like the rest of us. I mean, you know, I don't know if you've ever been there. Perhaps I'm just a, a self-confession there. And it says, and I'll send him unto you. Well, believe it or not, the Holy Spirit can be felt. If I can't see, I feel him. I discern him. Why? Because I know what he looks like, what he smells like, what he feels like. How do you know that you're in the presence of the Holy Ghost? Because you'll feel peace. You'll feel joy. Right, let, let me let you in on, on a good one. When you're really into the Holy Spirit, He's into you for some odd reason. You just love everybody. How do you know you're not quite as close? Because you love about half of everybody. It's just a good little barometer. It's a good way, you know, you like to see if your gas tank's full, right? How do you check your oil? You put a dipstick in an engine. You say, half full, oh, I need a quart. Well, a lot of times we need a quart. A lot of times we're running low on the oil of the Spirit, and you can measure it by how much you love the brethren. That's how we know. Don't use your mind to say how much. Well, I love everybody. I've dealt with this one particular person, and he had problems in his marriage, and his wife did something she shouldn't have done 10, 12, 15 years ago. And he said, I've forgiven her. And he can't have a conversation with me but what he brings up her indiscretions. I know I'm not talking to anybody in the room or watching on TV. How do you know you're forgiving somebody? We're living in the day of grace. If you have to keep bringing it up, and if you feel the need to tell everybody how wrong you've been by your wife or husband, that's your goal in life. Well, you won't believe what they did to me. You're walking in a very unforgiving spirit. Well, the Lord said, Alan, all right, hush, go on. So here we go. The Holy Spirit is the actual presence of Jesus. All right, let's move on. Now, the main characters, chapters 1 through 12, the emphasis is on Peter. 13 through 8, 28, the emphasis is on Paul. 2 through 28, influence on the Holy Spirit, which is basically the whole book, as you see. It is important to consider that the book of Acts is still being written because the Holy Spirit's still at work. So when we get to Acts 28, 28, 30, 31, into the book of Acts, here's what we need to do up here. It's still being written. I believe there's scribes in heaven today writing down the Acts of the church. And I think that when we go there, we're going to be sit around and read them. You're kidding. Oh, boy, did I blow that one. The book of Acts is the beginning of the church, and it is continuing unto even this very day. The book of Acts covers the first 40 years of the church, and in the end, uh, the full blindness of Israel. In that period of Acts, 32, 33 years, I put 40 if you go from one end to the other, but basically 33 years. When you see this 30-year, 33-year panoramic view, God is dealing with the nation Israel the whole time for that 30-year period. From the time of the outpouring of the Spirit till 33 years later, God's still in dealing with the nation of Israel. That's the reason if you read any writings, if you read any of Paul's writings he wrote during that period, it'll always say that he went to the Jews first. Why did he go to the Jews first? Because God was still dealing with them. Anything Paul wrote after that time, he quit going to the Jew first. Isn't that amazing? So God had a time, basically 30-some years, that he, was, he gave Israel a chance to repent and receive Jesus as the Messiah. So they could trigger the second coming of Christ when they received Jesus as the Messiah. 
A lot of people today are saying, boy, the Jews are getting ready to build the temple. I'm like, oh no. See, you got to understand, when they build that temple, it is the proof once again that they've rejected. You say, well, I, Alan, they got, I've heard, Alan, they got four red heifers ready. I'm like, oh Jesus, is it, is it about time? You see, when they build this next temple, it is proof that they're still rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. Now, when they build this temple, and they start doing this stuff. Then all of a sudden, you're going to see 144,000. There's going to be these Jews. It's going to be in the tribulation period. These Jews are going, they're going to go out and start preaching. You're going to have a lot of... You see, the tribulation period is not for the Gentiles. It's for the Jews. It's to provoke them unto receiving Jesus as the Messiah. God goes to a lot of... Tri Listen, you don't think God won't get rough and tough, somebody? Got to get rough and tough. He has to get so rough and tough with the nation Israel that he brings tribulation to that nation to convince them that Jesus, and then ultimately it'll happen, but it goes through a lot of destruction. That was not created for you and me. You can say, well, Alan, why should we escape the tribulation? Well, the same question is, why should you escape hell? We are about God proving a point. God's not into equality. Sorry. God's not into being fair. I know that's going to blow your theology. He's not. God's into doing things the way he planned it. He's after saving the Jew. He's after saving the Gentiles. He's out to restoring the whole earth. And bless God, he's going to do it. And he's not a woke God. I heard this the other day. He said this Jewish father went to his rabbi. He said, you're not going to believe what happened. My, my son, he's turned into a Christian. And the rabbi said, well, come over here. I understand how you feel. He said, I've got a son that turned into a Christian. He said, well, I think we need to pray. So they both knelt down there and they prayed to God. All of a sudden, the rabbi jumped up and said, God spoke. The Jews said, he said, well, what did he say? God said, you guys won't believe what happened to me. I had a son. He'd become a Christian. I know that's a hard joke, but it's a truth. <laughs> we need to understand that God has a plan through his son to redeem the earth. Book of Acts just tells us in real time what's going on. See, when we have the book before us, we got the beginning and the end. We tend not to understand it takes real time for these truths and these things to play out. That's all. It takes real time. You're living in real time. I'm living in real time. Okay. The book of Acts will close when the Holy Spirit is taken out of this present world. Now, I have people all the time agree, yeah, Alan, will the Holy Spirit be here in the tribulation? No. We all know the Holy Spirit won't be here in the tribulation because you have to endure to the end to be saved. The scripture says it. Got to endure to the end to be saved. We know that the Holy the Spirit's taken out. Well, pray tell. That's the reason I said, well, why do you have a problem with the rapture of the church? The reason the Holy Spirit's taken out is because you have the rapture of the, the Holy Spirit's in the believers. And so the Holy Spirit's taken out. I guess if you want to stay, you can, but the Holy Spirit's going to go. One of the main reasons of the rapture of the church is because God has to remove his Holy his Spirit. And it just so happens he's abiding in you. So just by default, you get to go. All right, let's go on. Now, the proposed order of Paul's epistles, I'm going to move here quickly. We've got 1 Thessalonians, which was written around Acts 18, all right? You've got 2 Thessalonians around Acts 18, Galatians around Acts 19, Corinthians around 20 and 20, and 2 Corinthians, Romans around 20, Philemon around Acts 28, Colossians around 28, Ephesians around 28, Philippians around Acts 28, 1 Timothy is after Acts. Titus is after, 2 Timothy after. Now look, I'll put this little note up here for you. Where you got a little asterisk beside the name there, indicates a book written in bonds or prison. 
Some believe these books were written around Acts 24, 27. That's with Felix, uh, which would have been one year earlier. So you see, except for, I should have put it right there and I didn't, except for 2 Timothy. Do you see Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philippians? Some say that was written a year earlier than Acts 28, somewhere around Acts 24, which had been a year, year and a half earlier, because he was, there's some argument over how many imprisonments, one, two, here, one imprisonment before Rome, then he came, was shipped and shipwrecked, and then he went into Rome. So it doesn't make a lot of difference on that part other than a year, year and a half. But what does make a difference is when Paul writes Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philippians towards the end of the book of Acts, he knows that he's at a time that the time of the Gentile or the time of the Jews is passing. He knows that time's about up for the Jews. And so when he writes these books, it'll have less Jewishness in it, or he'll not reference some of those things. You get into Timothy, First and Second Timothy and Titus, you can understand why that's done. Let me move on here. Now, uh, here's a chronology of Acts and the epistles. Now, I'm going to go through this quickly. I've got five minutes to do a 30-minute chart, which means I'll not get through it. This is kind of, again, looking at the whole book of Acts. You got the descent of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, somewhere around the year 33. Then you got to setting up the church in Acts 2, somewhere around the year 33. First persecutions come in Acts 4. So you see, they were getting persecuted right out of the, pretty close, right out of the chute there. See that? Because they had the Holy Spirit come. You know, we'll go over that. Then you have Philip at uh, Samaria. That's in Acts 8, AD 34. Then you got the conversion of Paul in Acts 9. Now, Paul is the, he is the apostle that Jesus will, at the second coming of Christ, Jesus comes back to Jerusalem and the apostles will sit on 12 thrones, as he says, and they'll be judging the 12 tribes of Israel in the millennial, thousand year reign of Christ. Now, we have a problem, Houston. Paul is apostle 13. All right, just keep that in mind. Don't need but 12, but we got 13. All right, that means to tell us something. The 13th apostle was not prophesied about. The 13th apostle is not to the Jewish nation. He's not going to be sitting up there with the rest of them judging 12 tribes of Israel. 13th apostle is to the Gentiles. So you start making that distinction. You start saying, okay, I see. Okay. Now, as I'm making these distinctions, understand in the end, we all still come together. I'm just telling you about how a V8 motor works. We're going to tear it apart and I want you to look at it. At the end of it, don't get too upset. I'm going to throw it all together. It's going to run. All right. That's what we're looking. We're looking at how it's built, how it's made. How does it run? Because I know something. If you know something about how this thing, God put it together, you can never be robbed of the truth. That's what I know. It's going to take just a little work. It's not much. It's not hard. It's going to take a little work. You don't need to miss a class to watch online or something. Take a little work. Not bad. But if you get it, you got it. Now, here's the writings of Matthew. And I, I want you to look, too. The conversion of Saul is how, as you see there, it's about, what, a year or two after the Holy Spirit came. And somewhere around 37, you got the writing of Matthew's gospel. I'll throw that in there. First Gentile convert, of course, we got Cornelius, that's in Acts 10, that's around 38. And then the founding of the church at Antioch, which we'll go over, is in around 41. So to me, that's interesting because the founding of the church at Antioch was how many years after the Holy Spirit fell? You see that? You're looking at eight years. So you say, okay, the Holy Spirit comes, Pentecost, then all this stuff happened. Eight years later, we have the founding of the church at Antioch. It was there that were first called Christians, right? Well, that was eight years after the Holy Spirit came. That's eight years Peter was running around telling the Jews, you need to repent, you killed the king. If you'll repent, he'll come back. So here we have the church starting to be set up. And you got to understand something too. When Paul was converted, A.D. 34, you had Paul, he'd always go to the Jewish synagogue first. 
Now here's a little trick. Here's what got Paul in trouble. He'd go to the Jewish synagogues. He would preach that Jesus was the Messiah. He is the King of Israel. He would convert part of the Jewish believers in that synagogue. And you know what happened? He split her wide open. The synagogue rejected him, so he'd leave and half the synagogue go with him. That's where he started the church. So don't say too much about a church split. Paul made a living doing it. <laughs> I'm just telling you the way it works. That's what he did. Paul, for the first 30 years of, uh, in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul, well, it was about 20-some years, the apostle Paul went around splitting synagogues. He tried to convert them. He would take those that were converted. He'd go right sometimes next door in Ephesus. and so He'd go next door and get a building and start a church right beside the synagogue. Now, you're talking about in your face. And everybody says, well, we've got to be woke. We've got to be careful. Don't want to hurt. Don't want to offend nobody. I mean, Paul, before he was saved, was an offender. And after he got saved, he was the chief offender, okay? I mean, really, for some reason, we're thinking that the truth's not going to offend. The truth is going to offend. So we'll go on here. Now, here's Paul's call in 13. Around, he acknowledges that in 44. He's got his first missionary journey in Acts 13. Council at Jerusalem. This is where Paul has to go back to Peter and the council in Jerusalem. This is where he I said, listen, guys, I, I went up third heaven. I'm getting all this stuff from Jesus himself. And it's not, it's not, it, it does go with what we're saying, but it's a little more revelation. This is what happens to me. I'll make his statement. One and two. Two includes one but one doesn't include two. In other words, you've got three invitations here, and that's in Matthew 20. You got the first invitation came with Jesus and John the Baptist. First invitation. You know the marriage supper invitations? Matthew, is it 20? Yeah. You got the three invitations. So this invitation's given. Jesus comes and John the Baptist makes an invitation to the nation of Israel. Rejected. Second invitation, you had the apostles, right? You got the apostles, first part of Acts. He sends them out, says, go out, Take this invitation, call everybody into the marriage supper of the Lamb. Twelve went out. They ended up all getting killed. I think you could say that invitation was rejected. Third invitation, go out into the highways and the hedges. Compel them all to come in. Don't worry about it. I'll separate them in the end. Third invitation, that's where the Apostle Paul came in. Apostle Paul is the third invitation. Second invitation is Peter and the Twelve. First invitation was Jesus and John the Baptist. I'm going to do a Bob Jones here. You got her? Okay. We're going to stop there and we'll start next week. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your word. I ask and pray, oh God, that if there's anything I've said, it's not of you, that these Bereans will overlook it and they'll try to grab what I said that was of you. And Lord Jesus, I do ask and pray that as believers of your word and your truth, I do ask and pray, oh God, that this church would be guilty of teaching the word, the word of God. We would teach it in truth, that this church might draw believers unto it, that you'd have to come, that your spirit would draw. I ask and pray, O oh God, that we would be raised up as a people that knows your word and we know why you said it and what you meant when you said it, and we'll go do it because you said it, and that the empowerment of your spirit will be upon the truth of your word in our hearts. So Lord, teach us to worship you. I pray that if anyone's here today with a need among this group of believers, that Jesus, we ask for your presence to be known in this house. We ask and pray, oh God, from this moment on, that all of us in this house would just love everybody. We'd do it on purpose because you have called us to do it on purpose. Fill us, oh God, with your spirit. Let your word shine. Let your presence shine. Let your angels come to this place, oh God. Let your angels be made known among the people. I hear from the Spirit to say, and the people of God said, 
Amen and amen.